0: On today's episode, we'll be doing a healthcare regulation edition of our popular Buy or Sell, where we show where we we look at a topic, we decide are we buying it or are we selling it? Uh, You may remember it if you've been on some of our past episodes. So today's episode is sponsored by the Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting Company. Learn more about them at chirpybirdllc.com. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at Tech Guy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 13 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Are you buying or selling?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question, John. We got some pretty interesting topics we're going to talk about uh, on the buy and sell episode, which is, as you just said, proven to be one of our most popular. So, I'm looking forward to it today. So we're going to be talking about uh, whether or not the U.S. needs a national patient identifier. We're going to be, we're going to discuss buy or sell, whether or not United Healthcare is a better home for patients like me. Uh, we're going to talk about de-identified patient data and whether or not that in itself is a misnomer, and should EHRs be regulated by the FDA?
0: My goal is to start a fight with you, Colin. Is that no, possible? No. Do Canadians fight
1: at all? We do, do, but but there has to be a puck and some ice involved. (laughs) Never Uh,
0: about regulation, okay. (laughs)
1: Never about regulation. All right, John, so let's get this thing started. Does the U.S. – well, are you buying or selling the fact that the U.S. needs a national patient identifier?
0: I'm definitely buying this. I, I know there's different risks associated with the national patient ID, and there's privacy concerns that people have. But my feeling is that all, all of those privacy concerns are essentially concerns that we have today, even when we don't have a national patient ID. So I, I don't think adding a national patient ID adds any sort of additional privacy concerns that don't already exist today. It's slightly more, I mean, I, I see a little bit, but it's so slight. And I think the potential benefits of a national patient ID are much better. I, you know, I, I think we have to be careful. It's certainly not a panacea, and, and kind of in the same way that I don't think the national patient ID causes all sorts of privacy violations. I also don't think a national patient ID solves all our identification problems. But I think it's a, it's a good move forward. I think it was uh, bad legislation when they said that the government couldn't even spend money thinking about it. And I'm glad that it will hopefully change.
1: That's an interesting one. I, uh, you know, coming from the uh, a, a land where we do supposedly have a national patient identifier, great
0: right, right north.
1: <laughs> we, uh, we up here in Canada, still have all the same interoperability problems. We do not have the ability or portability of records that you know people think would naturally come with a patient id we still as researchers uh, work with some researchers up here they still have the problem of you know deduping patient records and things because even though the identifier does come over in certain cases it's not correct or you know you have to be able to tap into various databases to validate them Uh, because for example i could theoretically get uh, an identifier in ontario one one province and get another identifier in another province, but it's the same person. So we still have these problems. So I, I am buying uh, into the fact that the U.S. needs one. I am not sold on the fact that you know this is going to make a huge difference right out of the gate for anything. I mean, it's just going to take a long time before it becomes rolled out properly and before the rest of the technology catches up.
0: No, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, everyone thinks, oh, you, you issue a national patient ID. I mean, we saw this with Medicare. They they finally implemented these new cards with an ID and all that. And it's taken a little while for it to actually roll out. And, you know, having a national patient identifier is going to take even longer. So even if it does, you know, it pass the House uh, and hopefully Congress and the president will pass it off as well. But uh you know I, I think it's a good thing it's a good step forward and to, to be honest it's a little ridiculous that it was <laughs> stopped in the first place
1: Well I think this is obviously that that regulation was a relic of a different time right and, you know back in the well, I guess the old days when things were paper-based uh, this kind of identifier you know could be very dangerous. I think now in today's world you know this is no more dangerous than any other number that we have because it's all electronic. You know, whether or not it's more or less secure has more to do with the hardware and software and nothing to do with the fact that this ID exists. Right. So yeah, it's an
0: interesting point. I mean, I think also people have been so scared of sharing the social security number, which could have been a national patient ID. But there was such fear because it's tied to our, uh, our uh, financial history that, uh, you know, it makes sense that we need something else.
1: Yeah. So cool. So we're both buying into this one.
0: With caution.
1: With caution. <laughs> <laughs> I like that I put that with caution. all right, so let's move on to the second one. So, is United Healthcare a better home for patients like me, and for those that aren 't familiar, you know patients like me uh, is a uh, community basically where that connects patients together with similar uh, rare diseases and conditions where patients can share and exchange information. Uh, it was recently uh, sold or be forced to to sell it. Um, the the sorry the Chinese company that owned it was forced to sell at stake and United Healthcare was the buyer. So we moved from a foreign owned entity now to a uh, payer uh, and device uh, uh, and uh, and provider. So and John their fear and
0: was that the Chinese owned entity would have access to too much uh, U.S. data that would somehow be a uh, an issue for uh, national, national security. security. <laughs> That's what they call it, which feels like a stretch, but okay. <laughs>
1: So, are you buying or selling this one, John?
0: So, I'm. I guess I'm not buying that it's a better home. <laughs> so, I guess in the end, I'll say no, it's not a better home. But I also am not sure that all of the outrage and all of the fear that many have uh, that UnitedHealth is a bad home. So, you know, I, I don't think I would take it that far. Uh, you know, I do, I, so I guess you know it's not a better home than a Chinese. I also think the fear of that Chinese company somehow accessing information that they could use that that fears feels a little bit of a stretch. Although in this world of uh, Cambridge analytics and uh, government interference and politics and other things, uh, you know, maybe there is a real fear there. But yeah so i i don't think it's a great home for patients like me and i hope eventually it rolls off into some other entity but i also don't think united health is a bad home for it i don't think united health is organized enough to actually leverage patients like me and use it for bad. I think they have so much going on and so many opportunities that, that there's really not a way, you know, an easy way for them to leverage it in the, to do the harm that, uh, most people think they could do if they wanted.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm selling this one, <laughs> um, Mostly, not because I don't think United Healthcare, you know, I, I, that is a danger. I don't believe that. Uh, like you, I just don't think there's there's sort of a, a threat that you know United Health is going to use that data for some nefarious reason to sell other things to people. I don't think that's their goal. Um, what, what I'm selling, though, is you know I really don't understand why the government forced the sale in the first place. Uh, especially when you consider that, yes, this is sensitive information, I get it, but the population of people using patients like me was so small compared to, I'll call it other Chinese technologies, right? Mm. Like how many people are using Huawei phones, right? Like and how much data are on these phones and why is there not a fear of, you know, the, I'm sure there actually is a fear, but there's, you know, it, 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 it's the same kind of argument to say, like, well, why aren't we banning those? Or why aren't we forcing the sale of, or, 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 or banning those things? Or, so to me, it, it I think it was really more of a, obviously a political move. I think it's obvious, it could be thought of as related to some of the trade uh, wars that are going on right now. But I mean, there is a little bit of fear about, well, what happens when they get hold of the medical data of these people? Can they blackmail them? Can they use them for something? Uh, my point is, If they wanted to do that, they would find a way to do it without owning patients like me anyway. So uh, there's enough public information available on Facebook and other places where you pretty much don't have to do that. Um, So I think I'm selling the idea that the government had to get involved in the sale of this. I think they were right maybe to look at it, but I think the conclusion is a little bit of a stretch. I also don't think that United Healthcare is going to do Patients Like Me a service. Uh, I think, unfortunately, because they are so big, I just don't know how much of the attention they're going to put on it. And sure. therefore, I think over time, it'll just die on the vine a little bit, which is unfortunate because I think Patients Like Me is a great platform.
0: Yeah, and we'll see how long the founders stick around. I mean, they had a real vision for it that's been powerful, and I think they've been transparent and they've, they've done a good job with it. Uh, You know, it's interesting, this discussion, especially after just talking about a national patient identifier, Uh, it's like, well, you know, we we need a national patient identifier to identify patients, but we're afraid that China is going to use this. Let's be honest, patients like me is is somewhat crappy data, right? (laughs) Like, it's not like it's organized with a unique identifier that allows you to understand who that patient is and all of their comorbidities and identify them with their Facebook profile, which allows you to then market to them in some stretch of an imagination to influence the political I, I don't know like I mean you know we, we needed a patient identifier but Chinese you know a Chinese company who may or may not be involved in politics or anything else is somehow going to leverage this day this kind of unorganized data to influence uh, something uh, that is a national security interest yeah, it feels
1: like a stretch. It does feel like a stretch, especially since, uh, you know, and I, all the power to them, but there are companies out there that, you know, do this kind of medical research on people, whether it's for, you know, uh, to validate claims or to approve insurance. I mean, th- there's companies that do this, right? It's cheaper so, way to get it. Is exactly, that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's a there's a perfectly legal industry built around getting this information through other channels like I said, like through social media, through uh, other records that are publicly available. I mean, it's not, I won't say it's not that hard, but there is a way to get it without having to go out and buy a company, right? Like, there's yeah. a lot of other ways to do it. Uh, and anyway, it, it just, to me, that was the the start of this whole journey, which was well-documented by Christina Farr uh, and, and uh, CNBC around this sale. I just don't think it was necessary, but you know, okay. We're here now, and, and let's hope United Healthcare does pour some money into it and keep the Patients Like Me platform running. Definitely. And with that, John, we're kind of at the midpoint. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Today's episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird. John, do you want to tell us a little bit about them? Yeah,
0: so, you know, if, if you don't know about the Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting Company, it's really run by two amazing women, Joy Rios and Robin Roberts, and some of the, they're some of the most well-informed health IT regulation experts you'll find. I always turn to them when I have my questions, and Joy literally has written the book, and multiple books, on on some of the most important health IT regulations, beginning with things like PQRS, and then Meaningful Use, and now MACRA and MIPS, and so, you know, she's a real expert, and and really both of them are, are real ex, uh, regulation experts. And you know, it doesn't hurt that there's also some of the nicest people on earth too. If, if you spend time with them, you'll realize this. But uh, along with their consulting company, they also do a great uh, podcast called the HIT Like a Girl podcast, which features women in health IT. So if you wanna learn more about them, check out more information about uh, Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting and also the HIT Like a Girl podcast at the websites chirpybirdllc.com, and hitlikeagirlpod.com. You can learn all about their consulting and their podcasts. Just great people doing the hard work of health IT. So check them out.
1: All right. Great great group. Topic number three, John, are you buying or selling de-identified patient data? I don't mean literally buying and selling. I mean, are you buying the concept or (laughs) selling the concept of de-identified patient data?
0: so this is an interesting one because uh there's a lot of interesting science and logistics around the concept of de-identified data and can it be really de-identified and uh my good friend andy oram loves this topic uh he he dives into it a lot and he's made the case to me that in in many cases the reality is you can't de-identify data Uh, There are standards out there that are essentially, you know, make it really hard to re-identify it, and and those are valuable, and I think those are worth implementing in a lot of cases, but I guess, you know, and maybe this is my own personal uh, approach to it and personal worldview, is that I think we're in a state where de-identified data doesn't exist. Uh, that de- you know, you can make it harder for someone to re-identify the data, but you can't ever per- purely uh, de-identify the data. So I- I'm, I, I guess uh, you know, I don't know, am I buying or selling innovation data? Uh, I'd say, I say, uh, you know, go ahead, like you know, try to de-identify it. Be thoughtful in how you do it, but at the end of the day, that data is going to be out and uh, people should be able to share it, people should be allowed to share it. And, you know, if it gets re-identified, I think we just have to assume that's what's gonna happen with the data. Uh, you know, we, we uh, this, this topic was actually prompted by the recent court case uh, with the hospital that shared some de-identified data with Google, and now they're being sued because Uh, The plaintiff is alleging that Google could re-identify the data using the other Sources of information they have which includes the Android phones Which is something I think a lot of people don't think about with Google right is oh I know where you've been I know where you've gone I know all of that map data and GPS data really informs a lot of people and you could re-identify Or identify who's in that data. So I I guess for me um, hey, I'm I'm buying that it's good to de-identify data, but I think I'm also buying that we need to learn to accept that no data can truly be de-identified. I think
1: think on this one, John, we are in alignment. I am buying into the need for de-identification. I think you should definitely do what you can to make it difficult, Uh, but I think we should also accept the notion that if someone really wants to reconstitute that data, back to an individual, you can. Uh, We have the technology now, we have the computing power, we have the other sources of information enough to piece together with high confidence who that individual is.
0: And that's just gonna get worse, right? I mean, (laughs) everything you described is gonna get harder. Yeah.
1: Exactly, so so I think, you know, rather than regulate the de-identification step, I think it's really more on the other side. Can you know? I think government actually should start to think about, it and companies should start to think about uh, policies around how that data is actually used. So let's assume the data is going to be available. My health data, you know, it shouldn't be used against me in employment, in, in whether or not I can get a job. It shouldn't be used in whether or not I do. And if a company is found or an organization is found to be doing this, then they should be. There should be some sort of penalty. I think unfortunately we're at that side of the equation now. I think trying to stem the genies out of the bottle, I think trying to plug it back in and, and make policies around, well, you have to de-identify, you have to do all this stuff, I think is a little bit, it's past. Um, I don't think- I mean, anything.
0: that's a regulatory challenge though, is trying to regulate what is allowed and isn't allowed with data and what's considered discrimination and not. But I, I th- so, I mean, to me, the first step is just inform me when you're selling my data so I know who has it, who's bought it, who's been given it, so that then, you know, until we do that, I don't think we can know how people are going to use it to discriminate against us. But at least if you're making me aware, then I could discover, oh, the insurance company tried to discriminate against me because they had access to this data, right? And and therefore, then we can make good regulatory policies, but, you know, right now we're just guessing at how people are going to do it, and that, that never makes for good regulation.
1: No, it's true and that's that's the big challenge of just under and you just mentioned the big challenge understanding where that data is being used or sold or bought, and you know how far down that chain you know it really goes because once I sell it to person if I'm the owner and I sell it to person or company A, where does company A go? with it yeah because
0: like, they sell it to you know, b and C and d and <laughs>
1: yeah i mean that's we do have to solve it and but i think until we do you're right i mean we're never going to get a handle on where and how this data is used or, or isn't used so um yeah i'm i'm definitely selling this one um i'm I meaning selling the fact that something can really be truly de-identified anymore
0: yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of this recent story I read about pharma pricing, and maybe it's a topic for another <laughs> another episode, but, and just how, you know, they had this line that just stuck with me, it said, when grandma's on her deathbed, nobody worries about price. And uh, I wonder, you know, it's like, the, the pharma industry didn't used to abuse that, and now they are. And, uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of other ways that data can be abused, we need to be thoughtful for.
1: I hear you totally. Let's go to that topic number four. So, John, are you buying or selling the fact or, or the statement that EHRs should actually be regulated by the FDA?
0: Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh wait, <laughs> I mean, like, imagine what would happen if the FDA came out and said, "I'm gonna regulate. We're gonna regulate EHRs." How many EHRs would be put out of business? That, that's like, like, that's a, that's a lot to chew on. Which is why I think it will never happen but uh you know should they uh you know i i i'll, I'll never forget the time i heard shahid shah our, our friend and colleague at NetSpective media he said i see no reason why the ehr shouldn't meet the same standard as every other medical device the risks are similar and yet they've chosen not to so i you know i guess i you know i i get that perspective but then i also get the innovation perspective and says well if it's regulated which you know, EHRs are semi-regulated with things like meaningful use of MACRA and I think that's been a disaster uh, You know, as far as actually improving EHRs I think it's created a standard baseline of, of that's, that's killed innovation in the EHR world, unfortunately. So I, I think if the, if the FDA came on board and regulated them even more, it would be even a bigger disaster. We'd see even less innovation and I, we would certainly see a slimming of EHR, so that, that would be interesting and th- there might be some value in that regard. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not buying it and I'm not buying that they will either because I think it would destroy the industry.
1: Well, I I totally hear you around the, you know, I think it would definitely funnel everyone who was still wanted to be in this game, it would funnel everyone down the same track. Everyone would just be basically complying with the regulation and there may not be as much innovation. Although I think the counter argument to that would be people putting it at the device market and going, well, there's tons of devices and they're very innovative, they're very different, and yet they all have to comply with the same sort of, uh, the same set of rules. Um, I do think, however, the tendency uh, initially anyway would be to overregulate if they did, and it would end up being very meaningful use like to say it must meet these minimum requirements, you must do these things. Uh, And so I think we would get sort of a a quashing of the the innovation for a while. But I also think it would kill off a lot of uh, peripheral EHR companies that were on the edge. Uh,
0: But the regulations wouldn't be meaningful is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I, I just don't think there can be. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be very meaningful. Uh, it is interesting to think about, though, because uh, you know, coming from the other side of it, the, the risk and the life and death nature of it. I mean, you know, unlike a manufacturing software like an ERP or a uh, CRM software, uh, I mean, EHRs nowadays they're plugged into so many different things, and now you're talking about the AI engines that are going on top of it that are making and helping to make decisions. Uh, based on the data that they hold, you start to get into that area where I go, I'm actually kind of leaning towards, maybe you should look at that aspect of EHRs, because how is that, how good is that data really being entered? Who's actually looking at it to make sure it's valid before these engines start, uh, you know, mining it and looking for patterns and things and making decisions or whether or not to set an alarm on this high or that high, or, you know, you could see that EHR is getting there. So in my mind, you know, we, one day it might have to take you know it might need some serious consideration here just because of that aspect not so much uh, of the innovations quashing aspect of it
0: well that is the question and you know because we need something to ensure the safety of the technology that's being implemented so you know i don't know maybe this is this is something we could dive into a, a lot more in in the future but you know, because as you start to look at where it's headed, okay, basic clinical decision support that's informing the doctor, the FDA the FDA has said, we won't regulate that. But at some point, the AI is going to start diagnosing, right? Like the, the technology and the data is going to start diagnosing, and then the doctor is going to still be overlooking it generally. At least that's going to be a transition. Um And so who's going to regulate that the AI is diagnosing it properly? It's probably going to be the FDA. And so, you know, we need that capability there and we need to be thoughtful about how we regulate it and, you know, how we still ensure innovation but also protect the safety. It's a challenging problem and EHRs are getting there quicker and quicker every day.
1: Yeah, we hear about it all the time where there's a lot of um, medical issues caused by EHRs, uh, and I don't want to say cause in the sense that it was on purpose, but you know because of the way a screen was laid out or because of you know the fact that two very uh, similar drugs are put side by side and you know, someone clicks the wrong one, it causes you know a sorts of downstream problems. But all of these things, you, you kind of start to think about, well you know, maybe there should be someone looking at this kind of information because that's an error that would not have happened if there was proper design. But then they get into that quagmire of well, what's proper design? Who's making that decision, right? Um, so it, it's interesting because I do think, unfortunately, it's going to take a few more crisis situations before someone decides, hey, we really need to take a closer look at what's going on here at this industry, uh, and especially around the EHRs themselves and the amount of intelligence that are put into them.
0: Well, and if you look at the macro view, some would say that the EHR is a relic that's going to be gone. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with them, but it is interesting to look forward and say, what could replace the EHR? And to me, the thing that will replace the EHR will definitely be an FDA-regulated device because it will take something of that magnitude in order for the healthcare organizations to say, oh yeah, I'll get rid of this billion dollar purchase that I did or $300 million or however it is and replace it with something else. It's going to have to be something so dramatically transformative that the FDA is going to be like, yep, that needs to be regulated because it's diagnosing or whatever it might be
1: awesome john well this has been fun and uh, that brings us to the end of another episode another fun one so thank you for all of you who tuned in this episode of healthcare it today you can find out more details about our show by checking out the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com and please share your voice and engage with us via the community at healthcareittoday.com or on twitter using the hashtag h-i-t-s-m I'm Colin Hung, and this is my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.